to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to now be looking back at the 176 episodes of Pod that they have made about Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Ben, are you wearing a, a suit jacket with wide lapels for the occasion? Yeah, a suit jacket with wide lapels and a shirt that is nearly the identical color to the suit jacket. I like that. Just sort of disappears, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's the future, baby. <laughs> uh, speaking of the future, you are in L.A. right now, aren't you? I am in it. California, I am up in you. How is that going? Have you had any any celebrity run-ins? Has Have people recognized you on the street i had three great celeb sightings the day that i traveled here i saw (laughs) that's a good sign baratunde thurston and jb smoove were both on my flight were they together like their friends no they were (laughs) because that would be amazing (laughs) yeah they were just uh just you know just two luminous luminous stand-up comedians happened to be on the same airplane at the same time and then jay farrow was eating in the restaurant that we ate in for our celebratory welcome to California meal. I love Jay Farrow. Yeah, it was really my, crazy. My wife and I have seen him do stand-up a couple of times now. He's great. Amazing. Um, yeah, but those are my only celebs thus far. Um, well, you haven't been there that long, and you already got three big ones, so good yeah. job by you. And mostly, celebrities are not hunting for the same apartments that we are hunting for, so that's the only thing that we've been outside the house doing at this point. How's that going? Have you had a lot of great tacos? Are you choosing a, a, a home due to its proximity to great tacos? That's what I'd do. I'd say that it would be hard to choose a home that doesn't have a proximity to great tacos Yeah, in a town yeah. like this, Adam. Um, now we, <laughs> as we were, uh, as we were traveling around, we wa- we happened to walk past a building that had, was doing an open house and it was not one of the places on our list. My wife has done just an unbelievably extensive amount of research on, uh, places we might choose to rent and, uh, and this had not come up, so we we walked in and asked what the deal was. And there's a guy sitting sitting on a stoop, presumably the uh, property manager or something. He's like, "Hey, what do you live in the neighborhood or something?" And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "Not yet, buddy." <laughs> I know it's. Hey, I'm trying to have an open house here. I know it seems like we both live in this neighborhood, being that we have these. <laughs> Cool California accents and whatnot. <laughs> wow, a uh, a good old fashioned New York slice of hospitality right around the corner there, yeah. Ben. That's great. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so yeah, but it's going good, and uh, I I felt weird. Like our big final episode came out on a day that had like a a whole bunch of really depressing news. 
also like it was kind of hard to focus on that being our big finale so hopefully this this episode will come out on a day that is less gut-wrenchingly awful (laughs) let's hope so huh yeah each day is better than the next do you want to get into it adam yeah, let's do it. We have so much to talk about on this, our our retrospective episode. Uh, I guess, are we even going to give it a number? I don't suppose we should. It, let's, uh, let's turn the page over to The Greatest Generation's Journey's End, the saga of The Greatest Generation. <laughs> this is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. Ben, the thing that struck me right away about this was that the production value seems straight out of, like, Sunday morning station-mandated educational programming. Yeah, so part of what we're going to talk about here is this, like, and I I don't think it is on Amazon Prime, but it is on Netflix, this thing that they aired, like, around the same time or maybe immediately after the final episode of Star Trek The Next Generation is a Jonathan Frakes hosted like television documentary about the series. And it is like almost entirely structureless, totally overwritten. And yeah, the production values are like IBM internal industrial film level, I want to say. It feels like one of those zoo animals half-hour specials that plays after cartoons on Saturday morning. Like, it's got that sort of granularity to its video. And we do learn a lot about echidnas. She's uncovered a colony of ants and uses her long, sticky tongue to slurp them up. It's not nearly as, as polished as the show is, and I thought at least they would try, you know? It's very much a video. It's shot on yeah, video. Yeah, that's for it, sure. It has like video-like camera work. The The show was shot on 35mm film, and that is an expensive and labor-intensive way of making moving images. And Right. I mean... Right. This was shot like a, a super long Entertainment Tonight episode. Yeah. It also just has super 90s design choices like the fonts are all like completely mismatched and bad and don't have anything to do with star trek or what we're here to talk about the colors are weird there's like lots of kind of gratuitous cgi that doesn't really add anything to the program it looks a little video toasted yeah sure (laughs) ben i mean there's a lot to make fun of here in terms of its like technical quality or, or lack of that. And, you know, like, I think a big point of our show is to make fun of a lot of the choices that were made on a on a show this old. Like, time makes fools of us, of us all, right? Like, mm. But Frakes <laughs> is not the one at fault here. Like, in many ways, he's the only person who could carry something like this and have it work. Like, he's sincere and charismatic and the writing is so terrible. Did you ever wonder how we accomplished that violent rocking motion as if we were just struck by a photon torpedo blast? Yeah. But, like, he works so hard to, like, lift that stilt out of the writing and make it personable and, and nice. Like, this is not his fault. No, it's, like, he's, he's the only thing charismatic about the whole thing. He's the only thing that makes it watchable. Yeah. And I was thinking about, like, 
Was there even a second place for who could host this? Maybe LeVar Burton? Bullshit, man. It's just bullshit. Like, because he sort of has the reps as this sort of host anyway. Yeah. But I don't think anyone else could have. No. It was very interesting to see interviews, especially with Brent Spiner and Michael Dorn, out of character. They seem to be the most radically different from their characters. And I guess Marina Sirtis kind of did, too. Like, she's she's so much more casual-seeming of a person in this. And it was also interesting to see interviews with the people at the top, you know? Like... <laughs> Rick Berman has like a a extended chunk about how proud he was that they managed to improve the look of Deanna Troy to take advantage of what a pretty lady Marina is. To him, the great accomplishment was changing how she looked. She had a bizarre hairdo. And, and not at all about maybe developing her character yeah. or any other female character on the show. It just seems uh, incredibly tone deaf. And I mean, that's something that we have talked about a lot over the course of our series is like how many like how many times they've given her just a little something to do with her character and how how amazing she was when she when she had that, you know, yeah. like I, I think I think Marina Sirtis like far and away to me the most under underutilized acting talent on on the program and uh it, in this at this point in the in the show's history that was still not clear to the executive producer of the show it's interesting how celebrity is treated so differently than star trek celebrity <laughs> i think i think that is starting to change a little bit with the new show but I think it speaks volumes about how exciting it is to see these actors out of costume because you so rarely got to see them that way at the time the show came out. I mean, they were Star Trek celebrities, but not celebrities at the time. And I think that's only now starting to change. Like, I think Sonequa Martin-Green is is a capital C celebrity, or at least she's on her way there in a way that few of them besides Patrick Stewart ever got the opportunity to be. Yeah. Patrick Stewart definitely carries himself like a celebrity in this in this uh, little documentary. He could not give any fewer fucks than, <laughs> than his his on screen as interviewed persona here. Like, wow! Literally wearing a members only jacket. If you wouldn't mind, I'm just gonna leave the jacket on. Yeah, <laughs> you know, someone told him to take off the jacket. <laughs> Fuck that, he said. Hey, Pat. <laughs> we're we're worried that the members only jacket is going to make you look a little aloof and maybe <laughs> like you're kind of big dogging the crew here. Precisely. This documentary was shooting concurrently with the finale and I think we mentioned during the finale that there was a little bit of friction between Patrick Stewart and the production crew of this Doc, it does not surprise me, having seen the interview that took place as a result, that there was a little bit of that. Yeah. I was also a little bit bit surprised that, uh, you know, everyone's out of costume and makeup except for poor Armin Shimmerman, (laughs) who they they interview as Armin Shimmerman, but he's fully corked out. Yeah. That poor guy. That has got to be the most... I mean, you know, you think about how uncomfortable that makeup has got to be to be in all day 
every day. Like every day you go to work and you sit there for hours while they put you in it and then more hours out while they take you out of it. And they're like, hey, Armin, uh, we need you to like spend an extra hour in this makeup so we can interview you <laughs> for this thing. Can't imagine. Oh, man. They did a nice sort of tour of sets thing before they threw to cart. Yeah. Like you saw, you saw engineering. Where those ever popular dilithium crystals fuel the warp drive engines. You saw the bridge. This is where the captain or myself might look out into space and see a Romulan warbird decloaking or some amazing space anomaly out there somewhere. What else did you see? You saw 10 forward when Brakes was in old age makeup, sort of doing a, a Soto Voce turn to camera, like between yeah. between scenes. That was sort of neat. Yeah, I mean, like, that's that's definitely Frakes going, like, how can we make this less awful? Okay, I'll do some, I'll do a bit about how this is how old I actually look now. He's so game. Like, <laughs> you need whoever does this to be game, because, good lord, like, if they're not, if they fight it the least bit, it's more awful than it is. <laughs> and then uh, we get a little bit about Deep Space Nine and, like, the motivation for that. And, uh, like, we get very, like, oblique hints at Voyager and what's coming up with that. I mean, they don't say anything about what the plot of Voyager is going to be, but they show some kind of very early concept sketches of what the of what the ship might look like. And uh, and then they also talk about uh, Star Trek Generations and like more more than anyone peace do is is they're doing like the sales pitch for star trek generations i've seen everything you know i've seen it all i don't think he mentioned it but someone else associated with the production did their hopes that it would be the best star trek movie ever made and how could it not be given (laughs) given who was involved given the amount of star power that they're bringing to bear on it oof you know the warning signs were all there, Ben. Like, for your argument for generations to be great, to be entirely supported by the idea of stellar cartography being a great set, <laughs> I think I think is fairly weak, you know? Like, no one mentioned story. And that's a killer. Well, yeah, I mean, Peace Dude talks about how he feels like it should be a transitional film. And I think that was a good instinct. Like, that might be the last time anybody had a good instinct in <laughs> in the production of that film, though. It's not a thing to make fun of them for, because I think when you work on a project that's as difficult as making a film, mm-hmm. you can't embark on that sort of thing without, you know, a shitload of optimism, uh, earned or otherwise. Right. You know, you just need that to get you through the night. I think that, like... I don't know, like, having this podcast get any amount of success has been a very instructive thing in my life as a person who wants to make creative work that other people consume. Because, you know, like, when, you know, like, bad movies are made all the time, but it is pretty unusual for a bunch of people to get ready to get together and make a movie that they know to be bad, you know? Right, right. Like, I think there's always a tension in creative work between the idealism of the creative aspect and the idea of making something that anyone will want to see ever. Yeah. 
I mean, I wonder, you know, did uh, did Vermeer like put out a, a few paintings that were well received and then go, oh, people like this, uh, you know, lighting it from the window game that I have figured out. So I got to I got to give the people what they want. I got to make a lot more pictures of people with interesting window light on them. I got to start thinking of Vermeer as a brand. Yeah. <laughs> like like I I imagine that uh that that was to some extent at play there. I mean, yeah. And and like you think about okay, like a studio is giving them like 50 or 60 million dollars or something to make Star Trek Generations and they're dusting off the characters of Kirk and Bones and Scotty and like they're you know gonna really take a swing at it and it is not a satisfying watch at the end of the day like and there's nothing there's nothing you can do after you've burned all those resources yeah it's interesting how maybe in Star Trek more than any other place the characters are consumable yeah and you can run out of them as as things to consume in the in the process of creation which probably is why the franchise has historically been so reluctant to consume characters in interesting ways because because they are a finite resource. Yeah. Spock dies and comes right back. <laughs> well, uh, in addition to some glimpses at some other series, we get... Uh, I thought it was interesting that we got some different takes for all good things than we got on the television broadcast. Like, whenever they would intercut scenes from the series finale, we were getting different audio takes. Did you notice that? Oh, I didn't. Uh, specifically, the the moment that really got me was, was when Picard at the end was addressing the season one crew. And he says in the special, You are the finest crew in the fleet. And I would trust my life with each one of you. And in the actual finale, it, it reverses that line of dialogue. You are the finest crew in the fleet. And I would trust each of you with my life. Mm. I wondered why they did that. And it made me think that maybe the productions were so different and separate that, you know, the doc could only use the diegetic audio and the sound bites that it got and it could not borrow from what was happening uh during the actual shooting it's pretty clear to me that the whoever was cutting the doc had like four favorite episodes <laughs> too right uh speaking of favorite episodes ben i think one of the things that i'm excited to do with you for this one is to recap our favorite episodes from every season our least favorite episodes of every season and then maybe assemble our mountains uh, mountains, which we have referred to throughout the series, uh, which contain our favorite and least favorite episodes. What do you think about that? You want to get into some arguments? Mountain assemble. Season one, in retrospect, had a surprising number of good episodes in it. I thought episodes <laughs> that I that I really liked. Now, for the purposes of our conversation here, like. I am personally not choosing the critical best episodes, but instead I've tried to choose my favorite episodes based on like my personal qualifications of like, 
rewatchability or 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 how weird it may be or if it gave me the chills like i like those episodes the best what were the qualifiers for you that that made you select which ones you like the most yeah i kind of put uh i put it in terms of like if i'm looking at this season and i'm just gonna pick one to watch which one which one do i want to rewatch the most which one do i have the fondest memories of and i think that that is a little different from the way I reacted to each one in review. Right, right. So uh, I feel like I could be, I could be naming a couple here that maybe I even gave bad reviews to. You know, said I didn't like them on on balance, but for some reason, in retrospect, they look like the the ones I I like to I like to watch as I look at the list. I really like three episodes in season one a lot and for me those are uh the biner steal the ship episode the one one zero zero one zero zero one episode i really liked conspiracy and i really liked arsenal of freedom (laughs) but in the end i liked conspiracy the best because i think it's one of the most rewatchable episodes of the series it is so different from any other episode not just in the season but in the entire series or in star trek really yeah and it felt legitimately dangerous it felt like there are three-ish episodes in tng where the whole thing could end (laughs) and this is one of them and i thought the balls to do that in season one was great and so uh season one favorite for me is conspiracy what about you ben uh, I felt the same way. Like the like looking at season one was so. Uh, it just feels like a a billion years ago. I have no idea how we're gonna do this if we if we do an analogous episode when we get to the end of Deep Space Nine because it was it's gonna take us twice as long to get through it. Sure. Um, but on my rubric of the one that I want to rewatch the most, I put Justice. Uh, not just because really? it gave us the timeless phrase "rock and knuck," <laughs> but uh, but you know, like largely because of that, and uh, and it's I don't know it's it's one of those ones that is just seared in my memory as being so much of what Trek is about, like. <laughs> This kind of like this kind like there are things about interacting with other cultures that kind of feel feel senseless, and trying to make sense of those interactions is is something that the show was just kind of figuring out how to do. Um, and I mean, like that's true, you know, even within our own cultures here on planet Earth today. You know, like I uh, go to other countries and it can be really confusing at times because, you know, people have different assumptions about how everything works than you do. And uh, so I think that there's something like, there's something about justice that uh, captures that in a fun way. And also, you know, you just get to see a lot of lumpy man package. (laughs) It is peak Star Trek, for sure. It's also, besides the pilot episode, the highest... The most viewers watched this episode <laughs> really? than any other in season one, which is just hilarious, hilarious to me. Like a bunch of a bunch of horny sci-fi fans 
Yeah. Well, if you're looking for an episode to crank it to, (laughs) there probably aren't many others in the series that are better than Justice. Personally, I I was cranking it to those nubbins and conspiracy. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to I tried to time my nut to Quinn's roundhouse. That's a beautiful image, Adam. <laughs> I tried to time, time mine to uh, the guy's head coming apart. <laughs> Season one uh, has no shortage of, of, uh, of mischances, I thought. Um, but for me, like, where the show was the worst was where it got boring, and to me, few episodes are as boring as We'll Always Have Paris. Dank and vile. <laughs> one, of, one of the classic uh, old scientist guys, like old recluse scientist guys with a hot wife uh, doing dangerous science for a wife who just doesn't understand. Doesn't understand my science, man. Yeah. And, uh, and really... What might be the introduction to like sad, lonely Picard as as a late motif? So, just sort of a waste, I thought. Yeah, and that 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 reclusive old white scientist guy with the hot young wife trope was so hard for this series to get away from, too. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, it just like really captured their imaginations. <laughs> um, my. Uh, I, I don't think anybody will be surprised that my uh, least favorite season one episode is Code of Honor. Dank and vile. I feel right. like it is uh, an episode that they knew at the time was uh, way off the rails and making bad statements that they didn't want to be making. And uh, it really seems like something that they should have, you know, just buried and not even... You know, maybe just started over or, or rewritten and and reshot or something. But uh, it's a bad look to skip a week <laughs> well, uh, yeah, right after the pilot episode. <laughs> but but I would have understood completely. Code of Honor is the answer to what's the worst season one episode. Like I don't think there's any question about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like we are in total agreement on the atrocity that that episode is. Yeah, I just tried to be weird with mine. I'm 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 all for it, Adam. I just don't want to be painted after this as someone who who thinks Code of Honor is okay. We all know that you endorse racism, Adam. <laughs> You're trying where, to make this a race hate podcast, and we know that. Where so in Code need- of Honor do you time your nut? To me, it's when the <laughs> spiky bird hits the crowd. <laughs> Yeah, it's when it when it flies off her hand and hits that guy in the crowd. <laughs> Spiky Bird, uh, the baseball card, is when I knew Bill Tilly had something. That was a great moment. That was, uh, yeah, really, really washed over me that <laughs> that this this might be something. Season two, Adam. Uh, so. I uh I I did go weird on some of these, but I think maybe my season two fave is not that weird. Uh, Measure of a Man. Uh, I think it's a a great Star Trek as a place. It's a great, you know, you know the. 
I've I've been watching uh I've watched a few episodes now of the Orville and they tried to have their measure of a man episode. Yeah. Uh which was a character on the show comes from a species that is all male and then he has a baby and the baby is female and they have like a a Star Trek TNG style trial to determine whether he should uh, be able to get the baby a sex change and you know everybody flips sides multiple times as they as they think through the like the gravity of the ethics of this and it's about you know cultural ethics and values versus objective ethics and values and uh, boy I just fucking hated every moment of it because <laughs> it was so like it was so gender normative at the end of the day it was like like they have they reveal that one member of this species is a woman and it's like she has every like cultural signifier of woman that you could possibly imagine and it's like she grew up in a cave around only men like why <laughs> it's just it's so fucking absurd it's 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 just it's just a very very bad and dumb episode and uh and and this uh, and measure of a man is like the opposite you know it takes like a a fun chewy uh, made up space idea and and like actually gets you to think about like objective ethics versus cultural ethics and and like you know gets you to think about what it would mean if a machine became sentient and wanted to you know have rights and that's uh, that's Star Trek at his best, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, Measure of a Man is is Star Trek for adults. It is it is thoughtful and smart and good, but yeah, it plus is they not, show boobs. Plus, but it is not rewatchable <laughs> enough for me, which is why I chose Peak Performance as my favorite <laughs> season two episode because I like knowing how the world works. And Peak Performance was, I felt like, the first time TNG showed us how Starfleet functions as as an armada. Like, they have to do training. They have to do war games, like any other sort of military group. They have, uh, they have specialists come in and do drills. And the idea that this is a thing that happens, you know, even on the flagship, was and is super exciting to me. And, yeah. you know, the that A story combined with the B story of Data playing... Playing Stratagema was super fun. You get one of your great Riker episodes, you know, of him just like draped over the bridge of, of his <laughs> jalopy ship taking on the flagship of the Federation. Like, I felt like in many ways, like this turned the lights on in the universe in a way that had not been uh, up to this point. I really enjoyed this episode. And if I'm turning on a season two ep for for just pure joy, this is this is one of them for me. Right on. I I'm wondering if we're both in agreement on the least favorite episode, uh, which has to be Shades of Grey, right? Are we yeah. in agreement on that? Yep. Dank and vile. What can you say about Shades of Grey that hasn't already been said, and then said, and then flashback said, and then uh, and then and said it again? And keeps going <laughs> and going and going and going. Just a massive misstep in season two i 
I don't know why you need to go clip show in season two, but they did. It's very bad. It's very lazy. It shouldn't have been produced. It shouldn't have been released. (laughs) So we're two for two in seasons with episodes that should never have been released. (laughs) My love is a Season three was sort of sort of packed with good episodes, I thought. I was looking at season three and I was like, this might be my favorite season. Yeah. If I if I have one. But due to personal metrics, chills being one of them, I don't think an episode has given me more chills than yesterday's Enterprise. I watch that episode all the time. I get the chills and the choke-ups in all the same places. It doesn't matter how many times I see it. Best of Both Worlds 1 is a great episode. Sarek's a great episode. So many great episodes in season, in season 3, but Yesterday's Enterprise for me is the best of the bunch. Uh, I went with uh, The Most Toys. Uh, That's a great for, episode. For similar reasons. I mean... It's uh, it's not quite as chills giving, but there is that moment at the end where Data yeah. takes the life of the man who has been has been holding him captive, and it is I don't think uh, I don't think you can call it anything but a a murder, and and a murder that the episode works very hard to get us to feel like is kind of justified, and that's a pretty amazing accomplishment in a in a kind of unflinchingly positive world as this, you know? It's interesting how much more you feel that moment in terms of murder than you do in Wolf 359, which is just yeah. a spectacular scale of destruction. But when you when you bring it down to the micro level, you really feel something at the end of The Most Toys. A really great episode, Ben, you're right. And it also has that part where Data goes, Lou, 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 That was great. Did you have a least favorite episode in season three, despite it being such a great season? Yeah. Um, to me, there were few episodes as bad in season three as The Offspring. Dark and vile. Uh, mostly because... Uh, both the idea and the execution of Lal, I thought, was just uh, terribly awkward. I have so many questions about why Data would do such a thing that he is unable to articulate himself. <laughs> why the rest of the crew just sort of uh, cosigns his his desire to make another thing in his in his image as if no one has seen Terminator Two. <laughs> required viewing in the first year at the academy i never reach for this episode when i'm doing a a season shuffle of tng for for enjoyment what about you ben my my least favorite is menage a troy it is just such a tiresome bouillabaisse base of ferengis and loaxana yeah can't argue with you there. Let's flip it around. Let's talk about least favorite in season four. As much as I love Q, mostly, <laughs> most of the time, 
uh, he is not good enough to counteract the idea of a holodeck wearing tights story. And so, for me, Cupid is the low point of season four. Dank and vile. It turns an interesting character in that of Vash into a shitty damsel in distress character. Yeah. Which is what this show seems to do a lot of times to strong female characters. Vash introduced as a strong female character and then totally diminished by an episode Broken like this. And humiliated in this episode. <laughs> yeah, and and uh also just really I don't like holodeck episodes in general, and so that combination cannot possibly counteract how great I think Q is. So Cupid for me. Least favorite. What about you, Ben? I also wrote down Cupid, Adam. Dank and vile. Hey, our first double. I would go so far as to say Cupid is stupid. <laughs> I, I wish they'd sent a poet. <laughs> uh, what about Fave? Season four... Not as strong as season three, I feel like, in terms of overall quality. Uh, But to me, there are two standouts in my mind. Remember Me, which may surprise you. I really like that episode. That, of course, being the episode where uh, Beverly Crusher is existing in a rapidly shrinking universe. Yeah. I just really like the Twilight Zone aspect of that ep. It's one of the few really good Beverly Crusher episodes where yeah. she she runs the whole thing and the story legit scared me when i was little and i was watching this like that uh that idea i don't know really affected me so i i love that episode and i really liked future imperfect which was the episode where uh where riker wakes up in a romulan holodeck yeah that's a great uh, app. Really solid app for me. But uh, in the end, I'm going to give the nod to Remember Me. It, based on the tiebreaker's probably rewatchability. I I really like watching Remember Me. What about you, Ben? Uh, I had to go with First Contact for this season. Um, it's, a, it's an episode that is very dear to me for a lot of reasons, not least of which is that Riker uses sex to get out of a uh, con- uh, detention area in a hospital, um, <laughs> but I also just uh, I I remember I very clearly remember as a kid being like really excited by the idea of getting a secret visit from aliens that think you're a special smart person that they want to talk to. Yeah, it's a great little crucible for a lot of interesting premises that you can get to in the Star Trek universe and. Uh, it also manages to be really fun along the way. It is incredibly Star Trek-y, too, in a fun yeah. way. If being Star Trek is a measurement, I think we're finding a lot of our favorite episodes qualify. I also just think it's really well written. Like, the Prime Minister character has that line about, you know, when I woke up, I was the leader of the known universe, and when I go to bed tonight, I'll be you know, just one mote of dust in a Mm. galaxy that is far bigger than I could possibly understand. Or, you know, that's not a direct quote, but I mean, just really nicely, nicely drawn characters that have interesting perspectives and 
you know, even even the villain is treated sympathetically in that in that episode. It is a miracle that this show could ever tell such a nuanced story with such fully colored characters in 40 minutes. This is a great example of how they were able to pull that off. Yeah. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. Not entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. My least favorite episode in season five is Imaginary Friend. Dank and vile. Yeah, me too. Dank and vile. I've been painted as a child hater Mm. by our greater viewership. It is not that I hate children. It is that uh, the storylines involving them on this show are especially weak and treacly and imaginary friend is just uh the peak example of that i just don't care yeah it's it's a real slog to get through that one it doesn't really add anything to the show it's not an interesting premise they say isabella in this episode as often as they say exocomp in that exocomp episode they really exocomp the shit out of Isabella. <laughs> uh, how about your fave? It was hard for me to choose between cause and effect and the game, but mm-hmm. uh, I, in the end, gave the nod to cause and effect. Just a fun mystery inside of a peak sci-fi episode. Yeah. It, and... Which is also like an action film in disguise. Like, you get all the explosions you could ever want. And uh, you get Kelsey Grammer. And I, yeah. think, I think Kelsey Grammer is going to break your tie. Kelsey Most Grammer times. definitely went to the Riker school of how to drape yourself in that <laughs> captain's chair. You know, like sometimes in sports cars, there will be like the side bolsters that are like... Mm-hmm. That are like on the top part of the seat. In in starships, they are just spread wide. They they yeah. really encourage the lean. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> what was your favorite episode in season five? Darmok. Yeah. Darmok's great. Darmok's so fun. I mean, uh I think that uh that we've we've probably said as much as we can say about about Darmok, but um you know, I and I think that it is debatable whether the premise of the episode is solid or not. It is all execution for me in Darbach. Um, it's fucking great acting. Like the monsters, really cool and scary. Like more inventive and interesting than normal. The aliens are interesting, and uh, it is it it has a lot of those things that I talked about with Justice, where it can be really confusing trying to interact with somebody from a different culture. And um, and it's a very hopeful episode at the, in the end. You know, it's about like making the ultimate sacrifice for peace and understanding. And uh, and and I love that about it. What you mentioned in the beginning about premise versus execution, I think, is a great description here because I think the worst episodes, <clears throat> the worst episodes, fail on execution, no matter how good the premise is. And for this episode to not have a great premise or maybe have a premise that is weaker than one would think, given its relative standing in in the Star Trek The Next Generation episode universe, its mm-hmm. execution is nearly flawless. It's great. 
Um, my favorite ep from season six uh, is Relics. Uh, I just think it is such a fun reprisal of the character of Scotty and uh, it also has the Dyson Sphere which is an awesome depiction you know whether or not it's realistic it is really cool to have them encounter something that is totally unlike anything that they've encountered and have it be really beautiful to look at on screen you know like the all the effects are really cool and impressive and at its core, it's it's Jordy and uh, a friend having a non-gross hang. When I think about relics, I think the thing that endures for me is how sad it is. Yeah. Like, at its core. And when I cruise through the rest of the episodes in season six, that feeling plays throughout. I think season six is a fairly sad season. I mean, Chain of Command 1 and 2, I think, are, you know... There's a heightened sense of of stress and stakes. Yeah, but but those are but that is a crew dealing with with great loss and and grieving that loss. Tapestry is also, I think, a, a profoundly sad episode in a number of ways. It's almost um, as if a young Picard said, "I want my episode to be in a terribly sad season. I want it to be in a sad season now." Now, 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 now. We're saving my least favorite uh, for a little bit later. Ben. I need <laughs> to tell you that, that season six, in season six, my favorite episode is Tapestry, though. Mm. Uh, because those, that that look at choices made and not made, the the idea that a man in Picard we've come to know, love, and admire would have the regrets that he does, the idea of of per, of a person that we know as well as we do could ever find himself on on a on a track in his life where he would be unexceptional. I think the thing that I took away from that is how closely we all are to that track. You know, unless we we strive and try, it's easy to be uh, anonymous and sad. Easier than I think is generally known. And when I watch that episode, I, I, it makes me think a lot about my life and the choices I've made. And it encourages me to make better ones. Hmm. But yeah, Rascal sucks ass. <laughs> Dank and vile. Rascal's the fucking worst episode in this season and maybe ever, and it's on my Mount Armas. <clears throat> Spoiler alert. I'm going to disagree, Adam. I think that the worst episode in this season is Fistful of Datas. Dank and vile. Yeah, that's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. I remember I remember being especially offended as a kid because <laughs> I thought of cowboys and Indians as being a a world apart from astronauts. Yeah. Like when I had when I would like make friends, they would be interested in one or the other. And like, like a decision about whether we could hang would largely hinge on whether they were going to want to like get out the Playmobil cowboys and Indians toys or the uh, you know space station Legos or whatever. You know? Young Ben had two unique eccentricities. One, he didn't like his foods to touch on his plate. <laughs> two, he did not like his cowboys and Indians touching his sci-fi. 
I did, I had no interest in cowboys and Indians. Period. When I was a kid, and yeah. having them having them invade my precious Star Trek really did not sit right with me. The thing that I'll always think about when I think of Fistful of Data is how somehow Worf turned his com badge into a personal shield. Yeah. Like, where did that come from, Worf? <laughs> Check out the big brains on Worf. <laughs> Pretty weak. Pretty weak sauce there. It is a guiding principle of a dark meaning base. Now, you can't find it within yourself to stand up and tell the truth. You don't deserve to wear that uniform. All right, Adam, we are here at season seven. We sure are. Season seven, which before we got there in The Greatest Generation, we were cautioned about. Season seven sucks, they said. Season seven, really home of some of the worst episodes in the series. I disagree. I think season seven was far, far better than than a lot of people said it was going to be in the rewatch. It got off to um, a bit of a rocky start, but I think uh, I think it's a lot stronger than people represent it to be. I had a tough time choosing between three exemplary episodes in season seven. I really liked Preemptive Strike. Uh, I really liked Parallels, and I really liked Lower Decks. Yeah. Um, Parallels is a lot like Tapestry to me in the way it tells the story of of choices that could have been made. Yeah, and, and it's, all, it's interesting because it tells the story in a way that isn't insulting to a lot of people, the way Tapestry is. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you could say that. You would say that. <laughs> I am going to, uh, in an upset, choose Lower Decks. It's my favorite season seven episode. Adam, we are so simpatico on Lower Decks being the best episode of season seven. It is so different. It, I ache for a Lower Decks in every other season. Like, we should have gotten this every season. We were talking about uh, on our on our other project, the greatest discovery. How episode three of Star Trek Discovery has a lot of lower decks vibes to it, and uh, that was one of the things about that episode that I liked the most. Season seven least favorite episode, Ben. What do you got? I put the uh, the episode Dark Page. Dark and vile. Mayquis and Luwaxana episode just couldn't help but put another Luwaxana episode. Uh, oh, probably not her really? worst. That was it. Her worst ep, but uh, just not one that I ever want to rewatch. I never want to rewatch that episode either. But it's not the worst to me because it really tried to be sincere with her in a way that I didn't feel like she was for most of the series. Like. As much as I dislike the character and the episode, I, it still made me feel something and some sort of empathy for her. And and so, yeah, I I, I admire that they tried. Uh, Masks is an episode that is my least favorite episode in season seven. Dark and vile. It does not seem like they tried in that episode at all. <laughs> it is just... An atrocity from beginning to end. Duh. The the only interesting way to watch masks is on mute because I think <laughs> visually it's super interesting, but in every other way, I can't stand it. I think masks is fun. My, my, my love is a peep, but long for that which longer nurses the disease. 
Well, Ben, it's time to unveil our mountains. To my knowledge, we do not have a name for the mountain that is our favorite episodes, do we? Well, why don't we start with our Mount Armas and see if in the process of getting through that, we can't come up with something finally for the good mountain. <laughs> Mount Armas, the the mountain below the all-time great mountain, dank and vile, my mountain contains these four episodes, Ben. Shades of Grey, Cupid, Mash, and Rascals. <laughs> those are those are the four least favorite episodes for me. Who do you got? We have uh, we have fifty percent parody here, buddy. My my Mount Armus is Code of Honor, Shades of Grey, Cupid, Imaginary Friend. Yeah. Nice, nice one. Nice, ugly mountain you got there. Ben, what are your all-time favorite episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation? All right, well, uh, here they are. The, the ones what, that I put asterisks by as I made my little chart. Uh, I've got on there Measure of a Man, First Contact, Darmok, and Lower Decks. That's a DVD set that I would buy. Yeah. The Benjamin R. Harrison edition. You saw that BuzzFeed quiz of Greatest Gen. One of my favorite quiz questions that I ne- would never have occurred to me was, which is your favorite <laughs> slickback? <laughs> yeah, I love that one. <laughs> I picked the one that w- wanted to be Commander Data, personally. Yeah, yeah that, guy, that guy is peak slickback. Yeah. All right, Adam, what's your mountain? Ben on my mountain is Conspiracy, Yesterday's Enterprise, Cause and Effect, and Tapestry. Those are some great episodes. Yeah. I feel like they they have a lot in common, too. Yeah. They're like I darker mean, and more action-heavy. And timey. Yeah. Time-spacey. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Interesting. I don't know what that says about me. What do your favorite Star Trek The Next Generation episodes say about you? It's a <laughs> cosmopolitan headline that we'll never see yeah because we'll we'll never know what that mountain is called adam but uh, but there it is priority one message from starfleet coming in on secured channel need a supplemental income supplemental income supplemental supplemental yeah it's extra but the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship Ben, our first Priority One message is a continuation of a Priority One message from the last episode we have. It's from Dylan R. It is to the finest viewers in Podfleet, a.k.a. the GG Tour 2017 Milwaukee folks. And it goes like this. Last time on Priority One. <laughs> my boyfriend and I broke up. Hell at work. Potential employer passed on my application. And now, the conclusion. Then I went to the show. Ben and Adam brought the funny, and the after-show viewer hang was beyond wonderful. I needed that win that night, and you all delivered. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. Roll credits. Aww. I am glad that uh, we were able to to provide a positive experience at the end of an extremely shitty run of bad luck. Uh, and I'm also really glad that we were able to edit in all that music bed from Best of Both Worlds. <laughs> we aim to please, Ben. I'm really glad people keep reminding us of things that happen at the Milwaukee show, because I remember so little of it. 
Yeah, no, it, it might as well not have happened if, <laughs> if not for folks reminding us what happened. Yeah. Uh, Adam, our second priority one message here is from Doe, first of two, and it is for Doe, second of two. It goes like this. Doe, it was damn good to be with you and Mrs. Doe in Montana. I can't believe we ran into Uxbridge in that abandoned mine during our hike. Lucky he didn't realize you are one-quarter hoosnock on your mother's side. Whew! The llama was a quadruped. May the log of your channels always be an integer. Best of luck opening your winery and living your dream. I'd say of the, of the spy codes we've read out on this that are clearly, you know, Russian operatives transmitting information back to Moscow... Best of luck opening your winery and living your dream might be my favorite. <laughs> I, I usually wait for the third day to open my winery. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you're trying to show good judgment, but that's not always how these things work, Adam. <laughs> Definitely not. Well, uh, if you have a priority one message, you can do that over at MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron work. Commercial messages are $200 and personal messages are $100. They're a great, great way to help the ongoing production of our program. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Ben, did our show find itself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! The metrics are in. The ballots have been tallied. Yeah. We have an an all-time drunk Shimoda for the show. The drunk Shimoda of the entire series, contrary to what LeVar Burton told us that one time, (laughs) is Worf. Finally. A warrior must be forged like a sword, tempered by good tea. The path of a warrior begins with nice house. I have enhanced the targeting system for increased accuracy. This is a real interesting story, Adam, because Worf did not get a Shimoda at all in season one. He, he totally managed to avoid getting a Shimoda in season one and then came raging from behind. And for a brief moment in season seven, Riker was a little bit ahead of him, but he surged at the end and got almost 35 episodes where he got named the Shimoda. And the thing about Worf being the Shimoda at this point is I don't think anyone's going to catch him. Yeah, because he's, he's still got like four extra seasons of Deep Space Nine to, to rack up more points. A record that may never be broken. Uh, wow. Props to Worf. Our listener at Colin Dinsmore on Twitter has done these amazing charts that track all of the Shimodas everywhere and uh, has, has released them on Twitter like after... At, as we've wrapped each season, has this to say about Worf. Worf had the most double Shimodas and the most consecutive Shimodas of any character as well. Here's a fun chart he made also that was characters that were only in one episode but both but got both Shimodas. You want to you hear this list, Adam? Yeah, lay it on me. Well, the, uh, the eponymous Jim Shimoda. Uh, that scene, uh, the 24th century dare scene, where uh, Tasha Yar tells yeah. tells Wesley drugs are bad. Shimoda. 
Sonny Clemens, <laughs> Reva's Dick Valet, the episode from season three, The Price, uh, Ensign Castillo, a.k.a. Shooter McGavin, the sure. mayor of Labar, France, <laughs> Admiral Henry, Forcefield Prober, Klingon Guzman, uh, Sam Lavelle from uh, Lower Decks, and Season 7, Episode 19, Genesis. <laughs> that's a hell of a list. Yeah. Those are, that's a list that could be episode titles, too. Really? Like, outside of Genesis, but, like, all the other stuff. Yeah, those are, those are all ding-worthy. Totally. Wow, just a ton of work by Colin here. Uh, we really need to thank him. Yeah. Um, a, lot, a lot of people have asked us to name the Shimoda for Encounter at Farpoint, because we had not... You had not invented that segment at that point, Adam. Um, but I don't... I, I think that... Uh, I think we should leave that... Un- undisclosed. That'll just be a little, little bit of uh, ambiguity that we leave you with. Yeah, that'll just be for you and me, right? Yeah. Sounds good. Maybe, maybe well, we'll, maybe we'll disclose it on a uh, donors-only episode sometime deep in the future. That works. Good plan. Darmok, Angelad, Tanagra. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy and that sucks right because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time that's why i like lumi labs so much it's the predictability through painstaking trial and error i have found my perfect dose it's what i can depend on when i can use a little more chill a little help getting into a creative headspace and i don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is i need to be doing And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. 
We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben, what are we watching next week on the first episode of The Greatest Generation DS9? Next episode is season one, episode one, Emissary. On a distant outpost, an untested crew embarks on an unprecedented journey. Do you remember this episode, Adam? I remember fragments from this episode, mostly how much Cisco hates Picard. Yeah, I remember that too. Taking his getting his orders from a man he considers to be a mass murderer. I am going to really appreciate the slowly pulling off the band-aid of starting DS9 while there's a little bit of of next gen overlap. Like, <laughs> I think I'm really going to crave seeing the characters that we've come to know and love over the years. So, yeah, uh, give me all of them. <laughs> well, uh, looking forward to it. Well, I really had a lot of fun here recapping the show, Ben. It was nice to go back through our favorite and least favorite seasons. Sort of do a little bit of a little bit of a census. Yeah. And what we've done here. A little survey. And uh, next week we are going to be kicking off our first Deep Space Nine episode. About that. Yeah. New series. Here we come. Sparkly new SD series. <laughs> yeah. Gonna Man. watch it on my watch. It's the only uh, it's the only screen that it'll truly look good on these days. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I really hope everyone comes along to watch DS9 with us. Uh, I would personally take it as an insult if you didn't. <laughs> um, yeah, and if you're uh, if you're wishing uh, there was more uh, Trek in your in your podcatcher now that we've gone to one a week, please tune into the Greatest Discovery, our new sister show hosted by me and Adam. And um, if you still need more pod in your life, you can always check out all the great stuff at MaximumFun.org. If this show has meant anything to you over the past two years, uh, we sure would appreciate a visit to MaximumFun.org slash donate. Uh, The show takes a ton of time 
effort and resources to produce. And uh, support for the show ensures that we can continue to do it for years to come. So thanks very much for that. we got a lot of thanks to give uh, anybody that has uh, contributed in a financial way or just by, you know, making artwork or, or you know, sending us something in the mail or whatever. At, like, the amount of, uh, of goodwill that we have received has uh, has just been amazing and touching and mind-blowing. So thanks to everybody that is a part of this community that has contributed in any way. I mean, this project would not be would not be the success it has been without uh, all of you listening. And um, it's the best part of doing the show, I think. Yeah. And I think I mean, we kind of did all of this all of the uh, misty-eyed tearfulness on the show last week, so maybe we'll <laughs> keep it to a, a dull roar on this one but uh again if you didn't hear it last time thank you thanks so much guys should thank dark materia for our theme music and adam ragusia for a lot of the other music you hear on the show and with that we will be back at you next time with another great episode of star trek deep space nine sorry <laughs> with a great episode of star trek deep space nine and an episode of the greatest generation that, uh, you know, is uh, a little bit run down and, and fucked over because uh, of the previous occupants. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a little bit like, uh, like house hunting for you. Yeah. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.